The following program was made possible by the generosity of those who have determined to hold fast to the true Roman Catholic religion, as expounded by the Roman Catholic Church before the disasters of Vatican II and the so-called New Mass. Father, and to the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Come, Holy Ghost, fill the hearts of thy faithful, and kindle them the fire of thy love. Set forth thy spirit, and they shall be created, and thou shalt renew the face of the earth. Let us pray, O God, who didst instruct the hearts of thy faithful by the light of the Holy Ghost. Grant us by that same spirit to be truly wise, and ever to rejoice in his consolation. Through Christ our Lord, Amen. May the divine assistance remain always with us. And may the souls of the faithful departed through the mercy of God rest in peace. Amen. O Mary, seat of wisdom, pray, pray for us. us. Then of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Hello, welcome to What Catholics Believe. This is a special edition to treat of a matter that is coming up very soon in October of this year. A special synod called by Francis to consider the Church in the Pan-Amazon, uh, the Pan-Amazonian region, as he calls it. Now, as you know, Francis has said he's going to uh, govern the church through synods. He's going to actually turn the church into what he calls a synodal church, a church that becomes ever more synodal. How can a church become ever more synodal? Well, he explains that is a, a listening church a listening church, that is, a church that listens to the people and the reality of the faith that they are living now. This is pure modernism, taken from the pages of Pope St. Pius X in his encyclical Pacendi of 1907. But in that encyclical, St. Pius X condemned these ideas. He condemned the errors of the modernists. Uh, Francis embodies the errors of the modernists in his proposal for a so-called synodal church governed by gatherings of select people, lay people from around the globe, to address the bishops, his bishops, and then his bishops to uh, formulate what the lay people tell him about the realities of the faith as they're living it at the present time. The bishops take that statement that they glean from the testimony of the people lecturing them and present it to Francis, who then uh, essentially issues a, a number of formulaic statements. He boils it all down to a number of, well, you might call them the sayings of Chairman Francis. And the, as those who have been involved in the synodal process that has already been taking place, that is, St. Francis' extraordinary synod on the family, followed a year later by his ordinary synod on the family, followed later by his synod on youth. The decisions that go into the synod are already um, calculated to produce certain results because Francis already has in mind what he wants to say at the end. And the synodal process is actually simply a, uh, a platform for Francis to finally uh, 
announce what the faith is that he has supposedly gotten from the people through the bishops to renounce to the world. And of course, what Francis says, as a result of the synodal process, the very ideas with which he began and with which he, he crafted the synods in the first place, determining who he invited to the synod to speak, who he invited to be the spokespeople for the synods among the bishops. Francis knows exactly what he wants the result to be. And so it is basically a show organized enable, to enable Francis to appear as the modernist pontiff, uh, revealing to us how the faith, the state of the faith at the moment, sort of the, uh, the state of the union, in this case, it's the state of the mess that Francis has made. Now, Francis has called another synod. He's called for a synod of the Pan-Amazonian region. And uh, in order to prepare for that synod, which is supposed to meet in Rome, in October of this year, a preparatory document was written. And then the actual schema, uh, what is called the Instrumentum Laboris, or the instrument of labor. It is simply the working document to present to those gathered for the Synod. They're going to start with this and they're going to work with this document to produce the final version. Now, this has the no, new order, especially the conservatives of the new order, very upset. The lay people, the clergy, the bishops, the hierarchy of the Novus Ordo, a great deal of turmoil now is, uh, has arisen because of this document. Some are even going so far as to say that it is heretical, some suggesting that it is blasphemous, some suggesting that it would be uh, like a, a blow against the, the faith and against the church. And then, as a matter of fact, it is all of those things. And I thought it'd be a good idea to take a look at this because if one reads this document, this Instrumentum Laboris, um, the, the, the working document for the Synod coming up in October, one sees the big picture, one sees the big plan. As I mentioned to you in a What Catholics Believe program earlier, uh, associated with Archbishop Viganon, his name you recognize immediately, as revealing Francis's knowledge and complicity in the <clears throat> homosexual predation of uh, seminarians in the new church. Um, a man named Ettore Gotti Tedeschi, who was the head of the Vatican Bank, has come out and denounced the corruption that he finds in the Novus Ordo and going on right now in the Vatican. Uh, Ettore Gotti Tedeschi is actually a finance man, he's, he's a financial man. That is his background, and yet he clearly shows an understanding though, of the philosophical and religious trends and currents going on in the Vatican right now when he says that Francis is trying to introduce a new religion which he referred to as 
Gnostic environmentalism. That is very perceptive. Gnosis is the ancient belief, even going back to the Garden of Eden, and the temptation of the serpent to Eve, you will be as gods knowing good and evil. It is all built around the fundamental belief present in all the Gnostic systems, and there are many of them, that mankind is God. There is a great deal of mythology associated with this in all the Gnostic systems because they're all based on mythology, not theology, mythology. That these things go through history and they surface in various forms, all of them pagan, all of them the occult, and all of them, again, centering around the idea that mankind is God. That's what the Gnostic aspect of this is. And we find the Gnostic environmentalism expressed in this particular system of Gnosticism, which is the modern system now, that we are one with the earth, that Mother Earth is a living organism. We are part of the ecosystem. And uh, furthermore, that not only are we, as human beings, uh, part of the ecosystem, but we are the divine, we are the divine presence in the ecosystem of the universe. And um, so this is how they are incorporating the idea of environmentalism and ecology and so on. This is why they're driving so hard on this matter of climate change and all the rest. Because they're trying to introduce what Francis refers to over and over again, and what this document refers to over and over again, as an integral, integral ecology. Everything has to be integral because Francis has what they even call the mantra in the document here. Francis has the mantra, everything is connected. Everything is connected. Meaning we ourselves are connected with the earth. We are connected with Mother Earth. We're connected with each other. We're connected with the divine. Everything is interconnected. Perfect Gnostic system. This is the religion of the Antichrist. And this will be the one-world religion. Gnostic environmentalism is the one-world religion that they are now preaching and putting into place for all mankind to follow. Make no mistake about it. When we read this document, we are reading their plan for a one-world religion. A one-world religion based on the Gnostic idea of mankind being God. And but also being part of the universe in which we live um, and uh, the biosystem and all the rest. So anyway, to get to the document, it's important to know what's, what's in here. It's a very, well, it's called the Instrumentum Laboris, and it is a very laborious document to read. This is an unofficial English translation, but that's all that we're given now. But we're given this by the Administrazione del Patrimonio della Santa Sede Apostolica, from the Libreria Eretrice Vaticana, Cita del Vaticano. So it's actually uh, published by the Vatican Press uh, from the from the Vatican Vatican City. So even though it's an unofficial translation, nonetheless, it does carry some status. Um, so they can't just dismiss what's in this document and say, well, that's an unofficial translation, so it doesn't count. 
Nor can they simply dismiss this as saying it's only the beginning, it's only the instrumentum laboris, it's not the final document. But this document here shows where they're going, where they intend to go. And right now, that's extremely important. The opening page said it refers to the Senate of Bishops' Special Assembly for the Pan-Amazon. The Amazon, New Paths for the Church and for Integral Ecology. So there we find the idea, the Amazon, and talking about the Amazon, they're going to be researching or proposing new paths. And these new paths are going to be new paths for the church. And they're going to be new paths also for an integral ecology. Integral in the sense that I'm pointing out to you as being that we're all connected, as Francis says. Now, this was issued June 17th of 2019. When it goes to the table of conscience, the table of contents of this document, one finds an introduction followed by three parts and then a conclusion. And the three parts of the document are entitled Part 1, The Voice of the Amazon. Already we're personifying the Amazon here. Part two, integral ecology, the cry of the earth and of the poor. Now, assuming the poor means the poor people, yes, they can cry. The cry of the earth and of the poor. How does the earth cry? It's an inanimate object. But already it's lending itself in this direction of the earth as a living thing. The biosphere, mother earth, the document even refers to that. And we go, by the way, uh, part one, the voice of the Amazon incorporates six, uh, four chapters, four chapters. Part two, nine chapters. And part three, which has eight chapters, is called A Prophetic Church in the Amazon, Challenges and Hope. And then finally, there is the conclusion. And we'll be taking a little look at each one of these sections Hopefully a little look because it's uh, it's very complex, but not complex in the sense of being intelligent. It's complex in the sense that St. Pius X denounced modernism for just being confusing and uh, disorienting. It is difficult to decipher. One has to decipher what they're saying because of the vocabulary they use and the airy sort of um, not only imprecise language um, and the buzzwords, but also the way they use them uh, can be very confusing. But this, as St. Pius X said in his encyclical about modernism, is not accidental, it is intentional. Modernists intentionally do this. They want to make themselves a difficult target. <clears throat> So, and that's how they do it. Now, the introduction to this document says this, the Synod of Bishops must increasingly become a privileged instrument for listening to the people of God. For the Synod Fathers, we ask the Holy Spirit, first of all, for the gift of listening. To listen to God that with him we may hear the cry of the people. To listen to the people 
until breathing in it God's will to do to which he calls us. Now, one reads that statement might say, well, it sounds, it sounds nice. I mean, it sounds okay, right? It talks about God, talks about bishops, talks about people of God. I mean, you know, it sounds okay until you start thinking about it. And when you start thinking about it and analyzing it in a rational way, you begin to realize what it's saying is very problematic. The Synod of Bishops must increasingly become a privileged instrument. The Synod of Bishops is an instrument, then. What's it an instrument for? And who is it an instrument of? Okay, Evidently, it's an instrument of Francis. Francis is going to use this as an instrument for himself. Okay, And this instrument of Francis is going to be used to listen. So it's a listening instrument. It's not teaching. It's a listening instrument. And who is it going to listen to? It's going to listen to the people of God. That's where the bishops are going to learn. They are going to learn from the people. And what are the people going to tell them? Well, it says here, For the Synod Fathers, we ask the Holy Spirit. So they're asking the the Spirit, as they refer to it, uh, to help the fathers by giving them a gift. What is the gift? Now, you know what the seven gifts of the Holy Ghost are. None of the seven gifts of the Holy Ghost is the gift of listening. They're inventing a new gift. Okay. <coughs> we ask for the Synod Fathers, the Holy Spirit, first of all, for the gift of listening. And they have to be able to listen. Now, now here's where it sounds good. To listen to God. Well, who can object to that? To listen to God. But it continues to listen to God so that with God, with him, we may hear the cry of the people. So in other words, we want to listen to God so that with God we can hear not God, not what God has to say, but to listen with God to the voice of the people, to the cry of the people again. We've got to listen to the people. (coughs) And we have to listen to God so that with God we may hear the cry of the people and to listen to the people, he says, until breathing in it God's will to which he calls us. So we're going to hear from the cry of the people the will of God. That's where we find the will of God, in the cry of the people. Read it for yourself. You can get it as well as I can, as I did, easily enough. If you want to print out all 64 pages of it, though, that's another thing. But that's where this starts. This is the introduction. And this is the whole idea of what a synod is. This is Francis's idea of synodality and the synodal church, where the hierarchy of his church listens to the people to discern what is the voice of God, what is the will of God, what faith means today, exactly what modernism is, exactly what St. Pius X condemned. Now, it says here, number one of the of this instrument of laboris, it says, on the 15th of October, 2017, Pope Francis announced the convocation of a special synod 
for the Amazon, initiating, initiating a process of synodal listening that began in the Amazon region with his visit to Puerto Maldonado in January 19, 2018. This working document is the fruit of a long process that includes the drafting of the preparatory document of the Synod in June of 2018 and an extensive survey of Amazon communities. So in other words, this document incorporates the preparatory document that took place that, that was produced in June of 2018 and incorporates the results of, a, of surveys the survey process is very important to put together documents for the Synod because the survey, again, hears the voice of the people. They are surveying the people to hear what the people have to say about their faith as they're living it now. So they were surveying the Amazon communities to find out what the faith is in the Amazon. And notice, I mentioned this in a, in a video for what Catholics believe, Puerto Maldonado. Puerto Maldonado, what, a, what an unfortunate uh, name that is, because, again, Francis unveiled his plan for the Synod of the Amazon, and Puerto, right, a port, which comes to the word for a portal, or you might call it a portal. Maldonado, badly given, is what it means. A badly given opening, or a badly given portal what it means. Today, the document goes on, the church again has the opportunity to be a listener. Now, now it's not just the bishops, the church itself has to be a listener, and particularly in this region where so much is at stake. The listening implies recognizing the dramatic emergence of the Amazon as a new subject, having received insufficient consideration in the national or world context or in the life of the church. This new subject is now a privileged interlocutor. What does that mean? What does it mean? Well, the sense of it as you read through the document means that the Amazon now is a privileged speaker. We're going to listen to the Amazon because the Amazon is a privileged speaker to us, to teach, to teach the church. The document goes on, but listening is not easy. And he goes on and talks about synthesizing questionnaire responses of Episcopal conferences and communities. It remains problematic. It takes a lot of work, a lot of effort, a lot of interpretation. It, it's tempered by a process of ecological and pastoral conversion, whatever that means. And it goes on, it says... It's tempered by a process of ecological and pastoral conversion that lets itself be seriously challenged by the geographical and existential peripheries. What does that mean? Who knows? Whatever the modernists want to interpret it to me. But the next sentence says this, and this process must continue during and after the Synod as a central element of the future life of the Church. It is what he's saying here now. The principal author of this document, I understand, was a former archbishop in the Amazon region. He's a radical leftist, by the way. <clears throat> but he's saying the listening process must continue. 
during and after the Synod as a central element of the future life of the church. And he's going to go on and say that this is actually going to have to affect the whole world. The church's view of the Amazon and her approach to the, to the Amazon actually is going to have to carry over to the church's way of uh, presenting herself and even considering her, her identity before the whole world. The document makes that very clear. This is a basically a test case um, to dictate the very identity of the church for the future throughout the world. The document goes on to say it consists of three parts. First, seeing, listening. Second, integral ecology. And the third part, prophetic church. He says that this actually corresponds to three kind of conversions. Conversions that Francis talks about. He says the church is called to be ever more synodal, meaning listening, ever more listening. It begins by listening, it says here, it begins by listening to the people and by listening to the earth, by coming into contact with the abundant reality of an Amazon full of life and wisdom. And then this synodal church continues with the cry that arises you know, to it from those uh, abuses that are being taken place, that are taking place. And then it concludes with an encounter with the cultures, inspiring new paths, new paths for the church. So he says here, the, uh, the author of this document, it's not just one author, obviously, there's a principal author, but this is a work of a committee or a commission. It says this whole document is structured around the basis of three conversions to which Pope Francis invites us, and here are these three conversions upon which this entire document is based, which means these are the three conversions upon which the entire synod is going to be based. First, conversion is the pastoral conversion to which Francis calls us in his apostolic exhortation, Evangelii Gaudium. This is the see-listen approach. The next is the ecological conversion, which the encyclical Laudato Si urges, setting the course of action. Then the judge act, that is the judge act part of the conversion. And then the third conversion is the conversion to church synodality. And he says Francis outlined that conversion in his apostolic institution, constitution Episcopalis Communio. And that is the walking together, the accompaniment. There you find the judge and the act. And so you see, you have this very profound uh, progression here from see and listen to judge and act. And uh, it's, uh, it's actually rather... Uh, rather simple, you know. It's, it's so fundamental, it's almost child, childish, childlike. And the whole idea, it says here, is to have a dynamic process of listening and discerning 
of new paths for the church. So part one begins with the voice of the Amazon. Again, it personifies the Amazon as though the Amazon region and the Amazon forests and rivers can cry out to us and teach us. One thing you'll notice is, as we read through this document, uh, each section begins with an appeal to a, a citation from somewhere. And there are some citations that are of sacred scripture um, that the, the scriptural citations have nothing to do with what follows. They're totally out of context. But they represent only about a third or maybe a fourth of the citations other than the scriptural citations, which have no connection with, with the section uh, of the document, you have constant reference to Francis and what he has said. About three quarters, maybe two thirds of the citations introducing each section are not from scripture, but from Francis. Why would they therefore cite scripture? Well, they want to make it look as though this is a religious document. They want to make it look as though this is a, somehow give it the veneer of a, some type of a, a Catholic document. <coughs> but it clearly is not. And so they say that the church has to uh, basically differentiate itself from the colonizing uh, powers. And the church does that by, by appealing to Christ who liberates and humanizes by his power. And it, gives, it says there are four key concepts. In this voice of the Amazon, now, and considering the voice of the Amazon, and listening to the voice of the Amazon, there are four key concepts. And they are life, territory, time, and dialogue. What does this have to do with the Catholic faith? But the document says it is in these ways the church is in, incarnated with an Amazonian and missionary face in these three ways. And it then goes on to examine each of these as a separate uh, a, a topic to address. Life of the Amazon, territory of the Amazon, time in the Amazon, and dialogue in the Amazon. So uh, is there something to be learned from this? Yes, there is something to be learned from this. And uh, that is why I think it is important that we take the time, because uh, it tells us where the modernists are going and where they're trying to take us with them. Chapter 1, headed Life, begins with a citation from St. John's Gospel, chapter 10. Our Lord's words, I came so that they might have life and have it more abundantly. But as one reads the text, one reads it doesn't have anything to do with the supernatural life of the soul. Nothing whatsoever to do with that. It's referring to the natural life in the Amazon region of the peoples living there. It's headed the Amazon source of life. And it, it starts with a very profound statement. This synod revolves around life. It says in the life of the Amazon territory and its peoples, the life of the church and the life of the planet. So again, again, the Synod is actually raising the question, not just of what happens in the Synod. The Synod here is actually going to be talking about not just the life that goes on in the Amazon, rather, 
But it's talking about the very life of the church and even the life of the planet. That's what's at stake here in this document. And it continues this, this theme of personifying the land and personifying the water. They say that <clears throat> life is associated with water, especially in the Amazon. And the rivers of the Amazon are like arteries and veins. Okay, This is like a living organism now. Okay, uh, It flows like veins for the flora and fauna of the territory. Okay, A spring for its peoples and its cultures and its spiritual expressions. It's like a new Garden of Eden. And in this, everything is connected. Again, that's Francis's mantra, remember? Everything is connected. The point being, everything is one gigantic organism. We think of Mother Earth, we think of the New Age, we think of the pagans, the neo-pagans. There's a reason why Francis carried that sorcerer's staff, that stang, to begin the youth synod. It was not an accident. They talk about the the cultures of thousands of indigenous, peasant, Afro-descendant people and the communities living by the rivers and in the cities of the Amazon. And say that this is the second most vulnerable area in the planet right now, after the Arctic, it says, for climate change. The Arctic the document says, is the most vulnerable area of the planet for climate change. The second most vulnerable area is the Amazon. That is why Francis called the Synod on the Amazon to protect, to defend the Amazon and its biosphere. Now, one thing you notice here, referring to the Amazon as a, as a living thing, to personify it, <clears throat> as though it were a gigantic organism, actually corresponds to the Gnostic idea of myth. Because we learn about Gnosticism that they all, uh, the Gnostic idea, the central Gnostic idea is that man is God, but this has, um, you might say, uh, metastasized into innumerable systems. But they're not based on dogmas, because dogma is something rational. They're based on mythology. The Gnostics gravitate toward myths. They like stories and imagery. And that's another thing you're going to find as you read through this document. It is filled with mythology. Francis rejects doctrine and dogma because it is rigid. Mythology is something fluid. And he's going to be saying here that we have to learn from the theology of the indigenous Amazonian people and their rituals. Now, we're talking about pagan rituals here. He's saying that the church must learn from these and incorporate these rituals, even in her liturgy. And it's all about myth. Something you see that ties the Gnostics together with the modernists. They don't like dogma, they gravitate toward myth. That's how they express their beliefs in mythology. So don't be surprised as you go through this document, you find time and time again, we're talking on the level of myth, not doctrine. goes on to say, I'm skipping through, believe it or not, I'm skipping through the document and and ignoring quite a number of things uh, that 
again, straight from the big picture, I'm just trying to give you the overall picture of this document. To give you an overall picture of what is planned for us and what they expect to come in October of 2019 and beyond. The document says in number 11, Jesus offers life. It goes on to say that that life that Jesus offers is reflected in the abundant biodiversity and cultures of the Amazon. Where is the abundant life of the soul, sanctifying grace? What does it have to do with the abundant biodiversity and cultures in the Amazon? Well, they, they explain that. But listen to the mythology part of it again. The next sentence says, that is to say, a full and integral life, a life that sings, a song to life, like the songs of the rivers. It is a life that dances and that represents divinity and our relationship with it. Isn't that quaint? <clears throat> this is the life that reflects the life that Jesus had to bring us. The life of the Amazon, in which the culture sings and dances, reflecting, represents divinity and our relationship with the divine. This is pure modernism. It's also pure Gnosticism. It goes on to say the church then has to announce the good news and denounce the bad news, the structures of sin. And what he refers to the structures of sin are these matters of what he calls exploitative uh, mining of the Amazon and the destruction of the native cultures. The document goes on and says, the quest of the indigenous Amazon peoples. Now, later on, it refers to the original Amazon peoples, the original people of the Amazon. Now, who can say who are the original peoples of the Amazon? So they start out by talking about those indigenous there, those who actually are born and raised there, evidently, is where they start, but then they start talking about the original people of the Amazon. Now, what does that have to do with reality? Anyway, the quest of the indigenous Amazon people, peoples, for life in abundance, finds its expression in what they call good living, buen vivir, good living. Well, we talk about the search for the good life, right? What does it mean? It is about living in harmony, in harmony with oneself, with nature, with human beings, and with the supreme being. Is that right? The indigenous people seek that. They have a quest for that, the good life, a life in harmony with all of those, including the supreme being. Well, that's very interesting because they believe in a very different concept of the divine than we as Catholics believe, the native, the native cultures of the Amazon certainly do not have our concept of God. It says there is an intercommunication between the whole cosmos, the entire universe communicates. And um, he says, there we can project a, a full life. We can forge a project full of life. Okay, So this is a total order here. Now, the very next sentence, this is number 13, and I'm reading these because I want to show that what the document is actually proposing is that the church, which is supposed to be the Catholic church, but is the modernist church, 
The church must learn from the pagan peoples of the Amazon their wisdom, their religion, their religious practice, and must incorporate these pagan religious practices into their church. I want to get it straight that this is exactly what this document is saying here. Number 13 says, Such an understanding of life is characterized by the connectivity and harmony of relationships between water, territory, and nature, community life, and culture, God, and the various spiritual forces. What's that? Connectivity and harmony in water, territory, nature, community, life, culture, God, and the various spiritual forces. This is what good living means. It goes on to say, good living means understanding the centrality of the relational, relational transcendent character of human beings and of creation and includes good doing or good actions. The material and spiritual dimensions cannot be disconnected. This is part of what it is to be integral. In the integral mode, thinking of the spiritual and the material dimensions being connected. Okay, now we Catholics understand that. Human nature, actually, is designed by God to be the union of body and soul. We understand the connection between spirit and matter in that regard. But what does he mean when he's talking about the material and spiritual dimensions cannot be disconnected? It doesn't mean what we mean as Catholics. This means something different. We mean in this biosphere, as a natural course of events here, you have the spiritual and the material connected in an integral mode. Well, again, this could by some stretch be uh, interpreted or spun to mean something Catholic. But in context of this document, it really has to do with neo-paganism. It's exactly what it's about. And so, again, one could read from every single page and come up with something new and somewhat distressing, but I'm avoid, trying to avoid that temptation. And number 16, it goes on to talk about climate change and says that climate change is going so far in the Amazon that it's reaching a point of no return. Then it will become one vast desert. This is the prediction here, of course. Of course, the climate changers have been predicting things like that for quite some time now. And they're saying that this is a threat to biological life and to spiritual life because they're both connected, obviously. They have to both be adversely affected by climate change because they see the spiritual life in a very different way from the Catholic Church as soul created in the image and likeness of God. You know, every now and then you'll hear someone say, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. What does that mean? In fact, I had a young man in line in front of me recently at a lumber store, a hardware lumber store, um, who drew my admiration. He was in front of me in line with this cart with lumber on it. And he <clears throat> stayed back because there were others ahead of him in line who were up there to be checked out. 
And there was an aisle in front of us, and he didn't want to block traffic, so he stayed back. Well, other people kept coming in, not seeing him, and pulling in in front of us, delaying us. And I said, well, here's a young man. He must have been mid-twenties, I thought, who has a certain amount of patience, because he's not protesting this. He's not becoming angry. <clears throat> and I actually commented to him something about that. And uh, he turned to me, and he said, do you think we're actually approaching the end of the world? Which was an unusual question from a 25-year-old fellow with long hair and in uh, a flannel shirt, rolled up, sleeves rolled up, obviously a laborer. And um, I said, well, yes, I, I see signs of that. And he says, so do I. He said, I am spiritual, not religious. And I thought, well, that's very interesting. And he began to explain to me what that meant. Well, I made a few comments as we finally made some progress in the line there. And as he was being interrogated by the person behind the checkout, I made some comments to him that I thought hopefully would move him in the right direction, invited him to come and talk further about this. But that idea of being spiritual but not religious was an idea that I've heard expressed in so many different ways, in writing and verbally, in conversation. What does that mean? If one studies Gnosticism, one finds the Gnostics make that very point. The Gnostics make the point that man is composed of body and soul and spirit. And the body is the gross material element in man. It is, in a sense, what imprisons him and holds him back, holds him down. The Gnostics believe that those who live for the body are, are basically living like prisoners. But then there is the soul. And they say there are those who believe in the soul, the pneuma. And uh, they are of a higher level, okay? They are the religious ones. They are the ones who care about moral teachings like commandments and doctrines and so on. And they're higher in their way of life than the materialists. materialists they are closer to the ones who are spiritual. And so the pneumatics or the soul-driven people are ready to move on or trying to get ready to move on to the next level where they can finally be set free by the gnosis. But they're not ready for the gnosis yet. What does that mean? They're not ready to discover yet that they are God. Now, above the materialists and the uh, soul-minded people, that's us, the religious people, you have the spiritual people. And these are the ones who are the illuminated ones. They are the illuminati. They know that they are God. They're part of God. They have the spark of God. That's their spirit. And they are ready to be released, finally, and to escape this cycle that we're caught in, see? And so when you hear somebody say that, I'm spiritual but not religious, it might be that the person who says that doesn't really understand all of that or associate it with all of that teaching. But the mantra is out there, I'm spiritual, not religious. And little by little by little, this is the thinking that is behind this. Again, it all comes down to this question of Gnostic environmentalism or the Gnosis, that we are God 
That's why I'm spiritual. I've graduated from the mere soul level to now the spiritual level. And so when we, when we read this about, in this document, we read about the biological life and the spiritual life, it's clear that they're not referring to the life of the soul because they, can, they, they speak out against rigidity in belief, in doctrines, in creeds. They're not on the level of the religious here. We're on the level of the spiritual. But again, in the context of the document, there's no other conclusion, but spiritual in the sense of the gnosis, of the gnosis, the Gnostic sense of spirituality. In any case, it says here in number 18, aggression and threats against life generate cries from the people and from the earth. The earth itself cries out. And the cry provokes a reaction. We have to initiate paths of conversion. We have to change our whole mindset, our whole way of thinking about life and our relationship to the earth and to its rivers and to its forests and uh, to the air, to its climate, to other cultures. We have to rethink of all that. We have to, as it says here, follow the paths of the spirit. We have to initiate paths of conversion, communion, and dialogue, paths of the spirit of abundance and good living. The image of life and good living is a way of the, to the holy hill, implies a communion with fellow pilgrims and with nature as a whole. That is a pathway of integration with the abundance of life, with history, with the future, these new paths are necessary so that through this dialogue we can uh, come to an acceptance of this cultural diversity and even religious and even, yes, spiritual. Spiritual diversity and union. In any case, this is just the first chapter of this uh, within this first uh, section here. The next chapter is about territory, but it's already been a while since I started this, but I think you can see the way this is going here. I'm going to stop here and call this part one. I want to come back here and get go more deeply into this document. As I say, if you understand this document, you understand where the modernists are trying to take the entire church, their new order church, and really they want to take us with it. They want to take the entire human race with them down this path, this new path they say they're blazing for the church and for the world. And so it's necessary for us to, to understand this, to know what's going to happen in October and what's going to come after it too. So in any case, uh, I stop here. And uh, hopefully, if you are able to follow this, uh, this bit, starting the document, we've gone through probably a fourth of it so far, uh, then hopefully you'll be able to, uh, and you want to turn in for the second part and uh, see what comes next. Hey, God bless you.